I wanted to give everyone a heads up. Uh, sorry for the sound quality. The audio sounds pretty messed up in this episode. As Zach mentioned in the beginning, we did get new microphones and we thought that would improve our sound, but we're still trying to figure out how these things work, the sensitivities and everything. So apologies ahead of time. Even recording this, I've had to, this is the third time I've had to record this because the sound quality does not sound right. But either way, I hope you guys enjoy this. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea, and today we'll be talking shit about Aston Villa. So, joining me, as always, uh, are my two trusty co-hosts. I'll start off today by introducing Som first and foremost. Ooh. New microphones for me and you. Hopefully the sound quality is a little better. I know Andres is on his phone today, but besides the new mic, what's going on? You're coming in loud and clear, Zach. Uh... Yeah, next week we will get the trifecta, all three of us with the nice mics. So uh, you guys are in for a little treat then. But for now, you get to hear uh, a higher quality uh, version of me and Zach for the first time ever. Uh, So congratulations to all of you. Um, (laughs) But great weekend for for Chelsea fans. It was a great weekend for me. Uh, You know, my, my Bengals won also. It was just a, a wonderful sports weekend. Andreas, yeah, how was, how was, your, how was your weekend? It was good, man. I uh, took a bit of a road trip in Texas, went to uh, a town outside of San Antonio called New Braunfels, loaded the river there with some friends, made it down to San Antonio for the night, and back in the Houston area before whatever tropical storm Nicholas, I think, is heading our way, so... A little bit of outside time before locking myself in for probably the next week so hold on a sec did you say floating down a river yeah have you never heard of this that is a very texas thing to say <laughs> Tom, have you heard of this of course yeah floating you get you get you get the 30 rack thrown in the cooler oh, float down really? the river floating down a river yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. right you get on tubes it sounds like fun, we, actually. we made a bunch of margaritas and we drank for hours and then you get up and you're like oh man <laughs> for far too long and i've not been on my feet yeah is it like a lazy river vibe or is it pretty much but on an actual river you know That's, that actually like sounds like fun i've seen that i've seen that in austin like they have a very real famous one but uh san antonio that's the next stop I don't know. The L.A. River down here doesn't get much water. Most, most around. <laughs> I don't think it's like sliding down a concrete concrete slab. That's that's what a a lazy river in L.A. is like. I think the most action the lazy river in, or the most action the L.A. River has ever gotten was that scene in Greece where they did the drag race in the river, and that's about it. <laughs> that's, that was definitely it. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's start off. With uh, this match recap, Chelsea 3, Aston Villa 0. Another clean sheet for your Chelsea Blues. Uh, Going through the starting lineup, Mendy in goal. A back three of Thiago Silva, Rudiger, and Trevo Chalaba. Our wing backs, okay, wait for this, Cho on the right side. And our captain, Marcus Alonso. That's going to get some use... Some time to get used to. Um, and if you hear that in the background, that's my roommate's dog. He's really happy. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, you're definitely missing someone. Oh, no, 
midfield pairing of Saul Kovacic and a front three of Havertz, Ziyech, and Lukaku. Um, so let's talk about Lukaku's goals. Um, his this, these are his first and second goals Wait, at the bridge ever. Up with a new should we come up with a new pivot nickname that includes Saul? I was thinking of Sovacic, but that kind of describes the quality of the performance. From I, Saul, I'm going like to go so, ahead and so. say that we're not allowed to use Saul's last name in any of these created nicknames. Yes. So that we, uh, Just for pronunciation's sake. Cancel mm. culture would come at us real quick. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's do... Uh, I'm going to attempt it. I'm going to do... Uh, how about Kovaul? Kovaul? Kovaul. Kovaul. I mean, realistically, how often do you see, like, do you foresee Saul being featured in a midfield pairing? Uh, that's the only way I think he'll be, be featured. No, I, I mean, not. I'm just saying him in general. Like, what percentage of games we, or, or you think we're going to see him in there? 20%? Because, like, uh, we I don't know. I, I, we'll get to it later because I did uh, put two okay. quotes somewhere in the script, but I do feel like there's a lot of game time for him. All right. Well, let's get back to Lukaku. Um, so we'll start off with a Twitter question. This one's from Russell Saunders. Uh, he asks, before the third and Romelu Lukaku's second, I was going to say that we didn't get the ball to him enough. Two chances and two goals Tell me, tells me we need to get the ball to him more often. Uh, and I think Cristiano, you know, I, I made a bet with one of my friends who's a Man United fan saying that Lukaku will outscore um, Cristiano Ronaldo this season and whoever scores more, not not counting Lukaku's first goal. So whoever scores more, we have to buy the other person uh, their the respective jersey. So when I woke up and I saw Cristiano Ronaldo had a double in his first match, I was like, shit, off, not off to a great start. Lukaku <laughs> matched it for me. I'm feeling good. But, um, yeah, and like Ronaldo, he he spammed like six, seven shots to get the two goals, while Lukaku on two shots gets two goals. So going back to Russell's question, uh, Zach, do you think we need to get, the, get him the ball more? Yeah, you know, the funny thing was um... – I noticed that he only took one shot and the only shot he scored or the only shot he took, he scored going into the second half. And I was thinking to myself, you know, something similar um, during the Arsenal match too, where every time he got the ball, he made something happen. So it just makes you think, well, what if he gets the ball more? And I think we kind of saw it in this game, um, two shots on goal, two goals. The second one, obviously a worldy. I had no idea that he was going to stick it in the top corner because when he took his first touch, the ball was way under his feet. Um, so I thought a second touch was in order for him, but instead he just decided to lace it, um, which I'm never against. But yeah, I think I think we do got to find ways to get the ball to him more. I think the fact that um, Ziyech and Havertz, um, because they weren't particularly good in this match, I think that definitely influenced you know, Lukaku's involvement. Um, and actually limited it to a certain extent. But also, you know, we did only have one day of proper training going into this match. So obviously you have a new midfielder playing in behind you. Um, credit to Aston Villa as well. They are a pretty good footballing side. Let's not kid ourselves. But 
you know, I, I think I think more touches will come. I'd say yes, he definitely needs to get on the ball more. We need to find ways to get him the ball, whether it's his back to goal, running at goal, whatever. Um, but I do also think that we have to be a little patient here. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen with time. I mean, yeah, I think I think today's or not today, but this week's match was circumstantial to a couple of things. I think coming off of international break, you never expect a good match. I think it's a little naive to think so. Um, add to the equation that this was the first time Ziyech played with him. Add that uh, Saul's first match came in, in this circumstance. And compared to perhaps the Arsenal match where we got 90 minutes with actually 11 players, he touched the ball 27 times, if I'm not mistaken. So it's one of those things where I think that's the game plan. You know, Liverpool, we get a red card, things change. And then against Villa, there's a situation where, you know, for about, for, I mean, actually for half the game, we're playing with a bit of a crutch on the side. I don't think the first half is very fair to Lukaku and what he should be expecting in terms of the ball when when playing for, for this team. So for me, I think it's, yeah, we of course need to get him the ball more often. And I think that's always going to be the game plan. I just think... Again, international break, getting other faces into this side and then getting them minutes. It's just about familiarity. It's it's a work in progress. It's just so nice. I mean, here, uh, I was about to say this, but we got another Twitter question. This one's from at Black Emoji. He said, how good is it to have a striker scoring multiple times in a game again? And, <laughs> I mean, without Lukaku... Our only goal is a Kovacic, you know, just cleaning up after a mistake, which is never happening. Like you don't, we Kovacic does not score for us. So if we're if we're that was hope, his first ever goal of the bridge in three plus years for the club, yeah, which is amazing. So uh, you know the the fact that we've had to rely on stupid shit like that happening for us to score to have someone on our squad that we can rely on. And, I mean, who's who's the uh, leader right now in the Premier League in goals? Is it is – it, I think it's probably Salah with four or something. But if not, like, Lukaku's up there, and I think it's a fair bet to assume that he is going to finish, you know, up there. If not number one, he's going to finish top three for sure. So how, how great is it, Zach, to have someone like that on our squad again? It's been a while since we had someone like that, huh? Yeah, it has uh, since, since Diego Costa. Um, look, I think after I even noticed this after the first goal. I'm surprised that this question hasn't been asked to us sooner. Um, but yeah, it, having a striker that's clinical like this not only allows you to win more games, but it allows you to win games like these, where we really had no business going into the half um, with a clean sheet. We really had no business keeping a clean sheet in this game if it wasn't for Thiago Silva and um, and Eduard Mendy's heroics. But the fact that we do have a striker like this who can get us out of trouble when that one or two opportunities come by, in this game only two for him, um, and the fact that he bags both only gives the team that much more confidence moving forward. I forget who it was, but one of the ultras did mention in the match day discord. Um, they mentioned something about, um, fuck, I almost, I forgot what I was going to say. 
But anyways, um, great point, Zach. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was getting onto something. I swear. Um, but going back to Lukaku really quick, it's just really really nice to have somebody that you know you can rely on. I remember what I was going to say. Someone in the Discord mentioned that we were absolutely flying right now with confidence, and it was in within the first minute and a half of kickoff. And granted, we didn't have the best first half specifically. Um, you can tell that the team was oozing confidence when the ball was first kicked because now we know that we have strength in every position one through 11 and we're not necessarily, um, you know, plugging in square pegs and round holes. So yeah, it's definitely a good thing that we have him now. I think I, I agree with you, Sam. I think he's going to finish up there, um, you know, in the top three, if not challenging for, you know, leading scorer this season. Um, it's, it's exciting times. I mean, it's, it's, it was necessary. I don't even want to say it's exciting times. I mean, the fact that I can never say this website's name right, but Squ Squawka is that, is Squawka, that how you? Yeah. So they posted that under Thomas Tuchel, no striker has scored more than Romelu Lukaku at the Bridge. Lukaku has only played one game at the Bridge, one, and he's already <laughs> got a brace. So <laughs> it's it's nice, and it's it's those shots that you've mentioned that like a striker who has confidence in what he does scores. For example, you mentioned Zach, his touch wasn't good enough, but he still put it top ins for the second goal. But even the first goal he scored where he chopped it back to his right, his right foot, the shot he took wasn't perfect. It wasn't by the post. It wasn't towards the number 90. He just blasts it and the ball ends up in the net. It's right by the keeper. It's within reach for the keeper, but the ball's in the back of the net. And you need a striker like that to get you kind of bail you out of bad games or, or bad run of play. And having Lukaku is just such an X factor moving forward. I'm excited, man. It's just it's nice. Like we've said it before, but we haven't had this since Costa. And, and Zach, you're talking about with how much confidence we played with. If you if you rewatch that second goal that Lukaku scored, our last goal. The the way that we broke down the press, because Villa was pressing us like madmen this match. And I mean, I, I don't know if this is like speaking out of pocket, but we're we're looking like one of the best clubs in the world at breaking down a press. And especially with Jorginho out there. I mean, that guy is is literally making the right plays every single time. Um calming everyone down like he's such a calming presence on the team and if you watch how that play started from like i think we stole the ball from them and then just passing it around the back around the midfield and then i, th I think it was uh i think it was Ch uh, chalaba on the right side played a, played a ball to dave and then dave you know made that run and the pass but it just looks it looks amazing and i th and i thought villa did an amazing job pressing us. And I think they're going to be a good, like a, a very like difficult team for a lot of top clubs who are playing against them. So uh, it was great that we looked so strong against them, beat them three nil. But I mean, man, that second Lukaku goal was, was the build up everything about it. And then the f finishing product was amazing. But I think the celebration of that first goal that was was better, and we got a Twitter question from Ron. Well, I think some. I think that picture is from the second goal. 
Is it? When you went and you kissed the badge? Were you right? Full celebrations were absolutely legendary. But the first one was like the failed the, the, knee slide. The second one was the, the, the arrow, right? I thought the second one was a flag. Where he went yeah, up. you're right. It is the second one. It was he, he kissed the badge a couple times and he ran yeah. up to the flag and posed with it. This guy, chose. there you go. That's all you have to say. He's a proper Chels. He, he he's, he's wanted to do this his whole life. And he came off of one of the best seasons of his career at a club that I'm sure he loved playing for. And he left that to come play for us. It's it, it's what he wanted, and it's what we wanted, too. Yeah, he yeah. said he's been waiting since he was 11 years old to do what he did on Saturday. That's Shit. crazy. Yeah, when you're fulfilling like, your childhood fantasy, that's when it makes it uh, a, lot, a lot nicer. Zach, sorry, he's what were you going to say? He's in a rare territory, even now, only after, what, three games with us? He's already in that territory of he can pretty much do no wrong from this point forward the guy's saying and doing all the right things it's a little fishy just makes it thousand times better like when he what he told enters uh who was it was it their their coach in zoggy yeah he said the only team i'm going to leave for is chelsea it's not that i want to leave enter but it's that i want to go to chelsea it's been my dream that's it's poetic Glad to have you, Romelu Lukaku. All right, Kova Crew, stand the fuck up, Andreas. This is your time to shine. Oh, man, what what a guy, huh? Man of the match performance. Oh, yeah, he gets the number eight jersey, and this man, (laughs) he puts the number eight, and he's turning into Frank Lampard. I mean, he's scoring goals at the bridge. Like, who is this man? It really is night and day. It's crazy. I mean, I, I like joking, all joking aside, I think he's been inside of the opponent's box more times just this season than I think I've ever seen him in his Chelsea career. So, dude, he I almost had a second, he almost had a second goal that shot from outside the box that he sh- shot on the left side of the field, tr- going for the top right corner. That was just wide. And I mean, the keeper was on his heels. He would have gotten him. It's crazy. I, I really do think that. You know, he's obviously way more comfortable in, in the system now, six months later, however long we've been with Tuchel. But at the same time, I think Tuchel has definitely made a point to the two sixes that not that they need to be involved in the attack, not just the buildup. And from the very first game, we've even made the comment that even Jorginho takes shots from outside. But, I mean, the goal, the goal this time around was all effort. But the thing that I really want to highlight was the the pass he had to, I believe, assist with the first. This is Lukaku's first goal. My goodness, we have not seen something like that. I I want to say since the Jorginho pass to Tammy in Lampard's first season. Like that I was, was <laughs> I was gonna go back to Fabregas. I was gonna yeah. say Eden. Eden used to play that ball when he'd spin a defender and play somebody through. He'd do that. All I was going to say Mason Mount uh, in the Champions League final. <laughs> but uh, one, one goal for Kovacic, one assist, as you mentioned, five duels won, two clearances, two interceptions. Um, and if you're looking, you know, I, I, I felt like right before the match, uh, you know, the performance that Connor Gallagher put on against Tottenham and then scoring two goals the week before that, 
uh, it kind of, I think a couple Chelsea fans were thinking, oh man, like I wish we had him in our squad this <laughs> this year, but then Kovacic making it known, no, you guys are you guys are set in the midfield, okay? We got Saul uh, on loan. You know, Jorginho's a boss. He's a European Player of the Year, and Golo Kante's and Golo Kante, and then me. I'm world class as well. Okay, don't forget about me. Um, so here's here's a question, Andreas. I'm gonna start with you. Okay. This one's from at Michael No Digits. Is Kova gonna let Conte back into the lineup? I I think that. Conte's going to get some time off to finally heal, like actually heal from injuries. I mean, we've we've talked about it before, how when it comes to the buildup, you feel like Jorginho and Kovacic have like this telepathic nature about how they combine the midfield. But after that, this form that Kovacic has come back to the side with from the, in, from the Euros and the international break, I mean, I, I don't... I don't know if he to say he's a man on a mission, but I think he he himself has set some lofty goals as to what he wants to do for this team, and staying in the lineup has to be on top of the like on top of that list. So for me, yeah, give let Conte rest, let him actually heal. Like we are a better team when Conte's at a hundred percent, and if Kovacic is going to perform like this, you you ride that wave. Um, I think much like how Thiago Silva finally came back to the lineup. I think that's how we would want Conte to return rather than out of necessity. And yeah, I mean, Kovacic's just form allows us to do that. I, I, I agree with Andres. I'm a huge supporter of the movement um, that's been going around, that's been saying Conte should only be playing in the big matches. I fully agree with that. I don't think there's anything wrong in admitting that you know, Conte might be at the point in his career where we do have to, you know, wrap him up in some bubble wrap um, and make sure that, you know, he stays healthy for the big matches. I think, especially with the inclusion of Saul, now you have Kovacic playing out of his skin even better than, you know, um, we've seen him in the past. Uh, Jorginho, obviously, at the top of his game as well, um, not showing any signs of declining. You know, all those guys are going to be more than enough uh, to kind of get us through those mid-table to lower-table matches, even those cup matches as well. Um, so, yeah, I think Conte is good enough, um, especially at this stage in his career, to sit out and kind of come back in cold turkey. Um, he has the skill to do it. We know he has the natural cardio to do it, so he's not the type of player that needs a week or two to regain his his fitness. The guy's, just, the guy's always in shape. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much where I stand on that. I think in terms of Kovacic, um, to be fair to him, it's not just a matter of Conte, um, you know, being out injured. I think even if Conte was here, I think Kovacic is still challenging for a starting spot based on his performances. Um, and that's no knock on Jorginho, who's also been great for us. But what he's been able to do in terms of adapting his game, and Andres kind of touched on it, you know, he's advancing into, into, into more advanced areas of the pitch. We're seeing him in the final third a lot more often. Um, you know, normally we would see him involved in the hockey assist, the pass leading to the assist that leads to the goal. Um, but now what we're seeing is him create goals himself and, you know, finish opportunities now. So I hope it continues. I think it will. Um, 
he definitely heard us, uh, you know, sort of mocking him when he picked up the number eight jersey and just kind of said, fuck you, Roman's Empire pot. I'm going to go destroy everybody I play against. That for sure yeah. is what's going on here. Yeah, you're but, welcome, um, everyone. It was because yeah, of us. So it, it's all on us. Um, but no, I think, I, I think, you know, similar to the Alonzo argument, if the guy is hot, you keep playing him. There is absolutely no reason to sit him, um, you know, unless he gets hurt or, um, you know, genuinely needs a rest but as of right now it's still early days in the season i know he's been playing international football as well but a guy who's playing this good just kind of has to play um so i uh, hope we keep seeing him in the lineup i know this isn't on the script but it you just mentioned this and i want to talk about it marcus alonzo um and just not seeing ben Chilwell out there and i know that that sentiment what you're saying you know there's no reason to sit him there's no reason to sit andreas christensen but he he got to sit you know there's rotation there's no reason for us to sit um dave or reese james but we saw cho out there a wing back or mason mount or yeah yeah there's no reason to rest mason mount we saw ziesh out there coming back from a shoulder injury why the how come all like uh Tuchel thought that for this match in particular, he would make all of these rotations and still decided not to play Ben Chilwell, um, especially when on the other side, you're playing a guy who is not naturally a wingback. So you have two wingbacks on both sides, sorry, one on each side um, that are not strong defensively and they like to get up uh, to pro- go forward. And and it's not to say that Marcus Alonso didn't have a, a good game because I thought he played well, but I just it it it's starting to worry me a little bit the lack of Ben Chilwell minutes. Andres, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean I am too. I think perhaps this might be like you said, rotation has to happen, especially because you got to keep those other guys kind of match fit mentally, you know. So to me, I think the Villa match is probably the last one where you still play Alonso because he's been Premier League match fit the past couple weeks. And he also has been fully match fit physically. Now for Zenit midweek, I for some reason think that you'll see Chilwell there. Because when you're in European like competition, it's different. You know, like we talk about we'll get to Saul later, but the point of like Premier League speed and toughness versus other leagues, I think that the Premier League is at the top when it comes to physicality and, and the demands it has on, on how quick you need to be thinking and how quick your body needs to be moving. So for me, come Tuesday, I believe, we'll have Chilwell and obviously Reese James because he can't play. Actually, he can play on Saturday, but you go back to what's what works best. So Am I worried? Sure. Am I going to be more worried if Chilwell doesn't play Tuesday? Yes. I mean, the guy has to play, and he was so important at the back end of last season that I just think that the guy, unfortunately for him, going to the Euros was to his detriment because, again, he had time away where he only practiced, and then he had time off because he was away. So he's just probably getting back into shape. Yeah, it, 
I'm not too worried about Chilwell's position, honestly. Long term, it, I, I think it's obvious that you know we don't go out spending 50 million on a left back and not play him. Um, and, and to be fair to Alonso, yeah, he has been playing really well. But let's not forget, we tried to sell him the last what two or three summers now. Um, so I, you know, I I know Marcus Alonso is a Chelsea guy, and you know he, he loves the club, he loves the fans, we love him. Um, but long term, it is it is going to be Chilwell. I think the Zenit match coming up is more an opportunity for him just to get general game time more than it is um, for rotation sake. I think you play, you know, your reserve left back in that match regardless. So, um, you know, that's no knock on either player because Marcus Alonso is a hell of a reserve left back. But um, yeah, it just seems like one of those matches where you know Chelsea should win by default. Um, again, I'm not trying to curse it or anything, but, um, you know, th- these are the kind of lineups you expect. And unfortunately, right now, Chilwell's in that position. Andres touched on it. The international duty didn't help. The fact that he didn't play in the Euros didn't help either. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think he lost Tuchel's confidence or anything like that. I'm not looking too deeply into this. I just think it's a matter of him needing game time. And, you know, the right opportunity came around, you know, uh, this week, fortunately for him. So there's going to be a lot more opportunities ahead as well. We, we do and, have a lot of games between now and the new year. And last question on this. If he doesn't start against Zenit St. Petersburg, will you be worried then, Zach? Um, yes. I think that that's when I start I actually I being worried. Yeah, I, I, I say I would. Unless it's for like an injury or something like that. Um, I definitely... Which hasn't been reported, right? There hasn't been any injury reported. I don't I haven't think so. heard anything. I know he's tra- he's been training. He's in all the photos and videos. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I know he's been yeah. He's with the first team for sure. Yeah. So, not not really anything to explain it. All right. So we'll see. Uh, next episode will be after the St. Petersburg. We'll know if it's going to be a all all hands meeting, uh, emergency meeting about the status of Ben Chilwell and see where he stands uh, if he doesn't start um, or he starts and gets a. A goal or an assist, and or both, and an eight and a half out of ten, and we all start ranting and raving about him. And that's my dreams. That's my dream scenario, Zach. Uh, You know, you know, I'm a wing back guy. Um, Saul, let's talk about his debut a little bit. Um, it was clear that the pace and the tempo of the Premier League was a little difficult for Saul to cope with. Um, and Tuchel did accept uh, some of the blame post match. I'll read his quote. He said, I had the feeling that he struggled. There were some big mistakes, passing mistakes, and he struggled with the intensity. You could see he isn't fully adapted. It's completely my responsibility. I had the feeling he can jump in for us and play at that level. I then thought it was maybe better to change him, but it doesn't change anything about how I see him. So, very fair point. I mean, he's been with the team for, what, three days before he started? Um... So not only has he not matched or gotten used to the intensity of the Premier League, he's not really accustomed to playing for his new team. You know, so I think it's both those combined. Uh, Zach, do you agree with Tuchel in the sense that our opinion on Saul has changed or it hasn't changed? Yeah, completely. I don't think I don't think Saul's um, standing in the squad was impacted whatsoever. Um, it is a we were all surprised when we saw his name on the team sheet. Let's let's be honest with ourselves. Um, in in both Chelsea group chats I'm in, there was everybody was surprised for the most part. So 
um, it was a baptism by fire. Um, it felt like it when you looked at the team sheet, and then it actually became reality when the match started. You know, he did make some pretty silly errors. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say silly because, again, he's not used to the pace of the Premier League. He's not used to the tempo. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's also not used to the physicality either, and he was clearly struggling with that. Um, you know, he's a he's a silky technical footballer. Um, so, you know, it's it was very out of character for him to make mistakes like that. Um, you know, mistakes that do involve this technique, heavy first touches, um, you know, passing it to the other team. Um, but there also, to be fair, there were times where he did look pretty encouraging. Um, he loves to get in and jump into tackles, which could be a bad thing. But in there, he did make some uh some decent challenges in that match that I thought, oh, okay, we might have something here once he gets bedded in. And then also his one-touch passing is really is really neat and tidy too. Um, so, you know, if he could hone in on that, get used to the pace of the Premier League, which he will, um, with some game time, um, I think he's going to be a good player for us. I'm not down on him whatsoever, and I really, really want to stress that because this is a guy that has, what, 400-plus caps for Atletico, Spanish international, has won league titles in, in, in Spain, um, you know, he's played in cup finals. He, he, he knows what's up. He's not, he, he's not, you know, new to this. So um, for me, it's just a matter of change of scenery. Um, I think that, you know, a week, a little less than a week of training and then immediately starting a match after an international break with a team that's already heavily rotated. Let's, let's remember that too. Um, it was a difficult situation for him and for Tuchel to come out and be honest about his performance and say, look, he didn't play well, but we talked about it before the match that this might be a possibility. And, you know, I, I told him that this isn't going to impact him. And there's, there's that communication there. So again, we're seeing Tuchel's man management um, to completely prevent a potential Bakayoko situation, because I've, I've seen that name come up a few times. Um, Bakayoko against Watford. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm not down on him at all. I know Andres probably feels the same. Um, Andres. Yeah, I, I'm not down on the situation whatsoever. I think one thing, you know, not to tread on the same grounds you did that you didn't mention was that this is a totally different system. He went from playing Simeone's style for years, which is just be defensive and then direct, to what we're playing now under Tuchel, which involves a lot more passing and a lot more buildup and, and doing it in a very quick fashion, right? Like we, I think just this, this 45 minutes that he played highlights how, how quick you need to be thinking when you're in the double six. I mean, Jorginho comes in and he makes it look easy, but that's not a knock on what Saul can do. It's just a matter of, for those people that continue to not understand what the role of the double six is, well, there you have it. Look at the first half versus the second half. Now, it's only a matter of time for him to, I wouldn't say matter of time, but it's going to take time for him to get used to things. So, yeah, I feel like people, you know, two, three months from now, when Saul has figured it all out, I think people are going to see the upside of what he can bring on. We talked about Kovacic finally scoring some goals. It's uh, Saul is much more of a quote-unquote natural talent in terms of goal scoring. So, let the guy kind of get used to the tempo and the physicality, and, and then we can judge him. I think people are too quick to, you know, you mentioned Bakayoko. I'll mention 
Gallagher and Gilmore. Say, well, why don't we keep them? I think it's very short-sighted to think that because Gilmore and Gallagher are getting... uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? They're getting minutes every single week in the in the Premier League. And so we're we're kind of assuring our own future. You know, Jorginho's not gonna be here forever, and then Gilmore can step in and he has Premier League experience, even though he's losing every week at Norwich. So again, I think a little short sightedness from some folks. Saul will come I think he'll come good. It's just giving him some time. So what what did you see from him that you liked that that you thought he did well, Andreas? Um, or was there not much to like? <laughs> I, I don't I don't think I Zach kind of mentioned the the one touch passing, which again you expect that out of a Spanish midfielder. That's kind of in their DNA. I, I'm waiting to see more of that powering dribble that he's able to do. You know. We talked about Kovacic's just dribbling. His is more shifty, more hazard-like. Saul is more on the likes of when Loftus-Cheek is on form, where he's kind of like a train that you can't stop sort of thing. Yeah, Zach. No, I, I, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I was going to say, I think Kovacic um, and Saul were often occupying the same spaces. So I think that definitely kind of impacted his game a little bit. And it might be a little bit of unfamiliarity with the system, but I do want to kind of pose a question to both of you to see what you think. Um, I'll explain my position. Um, but I think uh, I think he'd pair better with Jorginho, just playing style-wise. Um, the ability for Jorginho to drop in deep and kind of hold down the fort while Saul kind of goes on those runs like you're talking about, I think would benefit his game more as opposed to a guy like Kovacic, who we just talked about, um, who's sort of occupying those attacking areas that Saul would probably be stepping into. So, I mean... Uh, I guess Andres, I'll, you could kind of answer that first and then Saul maybe bounce off of him. But I just think that pairing would be more ideal. And honestly, I think that's probably what we're going to be seeing at Zenit. Um, you know, it should be at least, in my opinion, if we want to get the best out of Saul. Yeah, you probably, it, it probably is like a, at this point, it's crazy to say, right, that it's a Jorginho plus one situation in midfield. You let him control the tempo and then the other guy can make up for his lack of athleticism, perhaps lack of dribbling ability in in a more direct fashion. So, yeah, Zenit would probably be be a better test so that, you know, I believe, is it Man City that we play next weekend? Tottenham. Tottenham. Okay, so yeah. a big a big rivalry match. So you probably do want to keep your, your Premier League big guns rested for that match. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean... Some fans might think it's too soon, but again, it's it's Zenit versus a Premier League team. And remember, we also we play Villa next week, next Wednesday, um, in the EFL Cup. So we're gonna see them again very soon. Um, so let's talk. Or actually, here first before we go into uh, the next topic, we got a, qu- a question from Not Willie B. Saul slash Kova. Or that 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 pairing might not be ready to pair together yet. Think he'd do much better alongside one of the two starters until he gets settled. Do you agree that it was too soon to throw him in, and should he get the start at St. Petersburg? Does any St. Petersburg, Zach? What do you think? Um, I kind of touched on it already. I think I think he should start. 
against Zenit, and I um, I do think it was maybe a little too early to play him. Um, but at the same time, it was obvious that Jorginho wasn't uh, wasn't 100% going into that game, so it did make sense as to why we started him. So yeah, um, a little too soon again, not too fussed about it, and yes, he should start against Zenit. I agree that he should start against Senate just because, again, I think I believe one of the first matches that Tuchel had was against Spurs. So he understands the how how important that match is, not only for the Premier League table, but for us fans. So you you play Saul now so that one of the midfield options can get fully rested uh, for that weekend game. Uh Again, Zenit is not going to be coming out and pressing us to death like Aston Villa did. You you expect them to sit back and play without sounding cocky, but play afraid. So Saul, again, a player that can be of an offensive nature, can dribble into dangerous positions, can find the back of the net on his own. Maybe this gives him a little bit more confidence for you know, whenever he is asked to come back into the Premier League. I, I think you you have the ability to roll the dice because it is a quote-unquote lesser competition midweek. All right, let's talk about the Mendy and Thiago Silva masterclass. Zach mentioned this earlier. If it weren't for those two, we would not have kept a clean sheet. Um, Mendy with six saves, saves, six saves all in the box. <laughs> Savez. It's Savez. Savez. There's an accent over the E. Um, Savez. Yeah. That's how he says it it with his French accent, with with that, like, uh, Frenchish accent. Yeah. Um, Including that that crazy double save in that first half. Um, My roommate was in the other room, like, on the phone with someone, and... Like, I yelled, oh, like, oh, my God, no, yes, no. And I just, like, had no idea what was going on, and he had to, like, run in to see the replay. Um, and then Tiago Silva with that chest save um, that everyone thought was a handball at first, including myself. Like, I thought there was no way that wasn't a handball until he saw the replay. He saw he clearly got it off his chest. Um he had six clearances, four blocks, including that one. I think this answer, I mean, this question is already answered, but have we officially gotten to the point where we can officially say that Mendy is world-class? He's a world-class keeper. Zach, what do you think? Yes. Okay, I, yeah. There's no doubt. His shot-stopping ability is definitely world-class. Um. And he seems to be doing everything else right as well. He's tidy with the ball. His distribution is as good as it needs to be uh, to be a goalkeeper on a top team. I don't think it's I don't think it's an argument anymore. Um, so yeah, and and even Tommy Tuchel said after the match as well. You know, it's great that we have every top team needs a top keeper, and and, and right now we have a top keeper. So long may it rain. I I have full confidence in in him and. Um, you know, we said it towards the end of last season on one of our shows, but, you know, all this talk about, you know, finding a new potential goalkeeper, it's, he's here, it's done. <laughs> we have this guy, you know, locked down, I mean, what is he now, 28? Um, we can easily squeeze another six or seven good years out of him. Um, 
So I'm all for it. Yeah, he's world class. Andres, what about you? Yeah, 100% world class. I think he now, even just one season later, I think he's up there for me as to one of the biggest bargains Chelsea have found in the transfer window, maybe, you know, right below Aspie at this point. Yeah. 22 million sounds like we, we, I don't know how, but we like tricked Ren into that price. I'm shocked. And, and maybe, you know, I, I tweeted right after the match, like whether it was luck or an actual scouting mission, I don't care how he got here, but I am so glad that he did. Like Edward Mendy has been everything that Chelsea fans prayed for. Yeah. I mean, Danny Drinkwater cost more. That was 35 million. <laughs> That's a bargain right there. Okay. 22 million. For for a world class keeper, that's a great business, especially considering the circumstances around the transfer. The rumors about Donnarumma, obviously the whole Allison thing falling through, the whole um, the rat situation. I don't know the Courtois. I've totally forgot his name. But um, now let's talk a little bit about Silva because it's. I think that that was his first appearance, other than the the red card I'm coming in because of the red card from last week. It was his first start, um, and I had thought either. I mean, I I didn't know what the reasoning was that he wasn't getting minutes in the beginning of the year, um, and I thought maybe that was Christensen's spot, and he was going to be the number one guy, but. I don't know. Zach, do you think that this Thiago Silva performance bumps him up like, ahead of Christensen, or is it too soon? I mean, what is, what's your ideal back three? It sounds uh, crazy saying that Thiago Silva wouldn't be my first choice center back in that back three, playing in the middle of that back three, rather. Um, not because of skill, because what we saw in this game was a, a a veteran footballer that has years of experience at the top level um, playing to his usual standard. And uh, it was a special performance from him, JT-esque in every single way, Um, you know, throwing his body in front of the ball, sacrificing himself time and time again, not getting beaten in 1v1 situations. Positionally, he is perfect in this game. He doesn't make a single mistake. Um, and that is very JTS. You know, he he's at that stage in his career where he can't really show off his athleticism too much. He's he's fairly limited in that respect. Um, so that's why I'm drawing that comparison there because JT wasn't the most mobile center back, regardless. But you know, they have that similarity of 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 you know both they're both leaders. Um, they both sacrifice themselves physically and mentally um, at every single point of the match, and that's. That's all you can really ask for, for from a guy like him. And with that being said, um, if he was 10 years younger, he's our first choice every day of the week. But the guy is, what, is he 37 now officially? Um, I can't remember for sure, but he's 36, 37 years old. And um, we can't necessarily rely on that for the long term. So um, I think that's obvious to everybody. So, yeah, Christensen, only based on the fact that he is younger, um, and to be fair to Christensen, he has earned that position as well, stepping in cold for Thiago Silva, um, you know, 30 minutes into the Champions League final and then going on to probably put on his best performance um, since that Champions League disaster against Barcelona years before. 
the guys earned it. <laughs> and, you know, it's sad because both players should probably be starting every game, but, you know, Thiago Silva is older and he's going to need to be rotated more. And long term, our vision is with Christensen. So only based on that respect, um, I think Christensen is still our first choice. But it's not too shabby to have a guy like Thiago Silva as a backup either. He turns 37 in 10 days, by the way. Yeah. yeah. He's up there. That's wild. Um, I, I mean, I mentioned this after the Liverpool match. I think it's it's not a situation where you have a depth chart where it says, like, middle center back is number one is here, number two is here. I think it's like a 1A, 1B. And, you know, we had all our theories as to why he wasn't playing, uh, Thiago Silva, that is. But I had a feeling that going into this match, it made sense to start Thiago. Um, two different reasons. I believe Christensen played more minutes than Thiago did during the international break, but also um, the potential attack of Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings. I think that plays more to Thiago's strengths. Zach mentioned the lack of mobility, but the perfect positioning. Danny Ings is that scrappy striker that scores ugly goals. And, and Ollie Watkins is, is more of, he's trying to be more of a complete striker. So whenever you don't have to have a, a guy be quick and, and reactive, but he just has to be already in the right place. I think that's why you choose someone like Thiago Silva. And then when you play your Liverpools, your Manchester cities, um, perhaps even Tottenham now that they don't, well, I guess Harry Kane is back, but when you play these teams that have a, a makeshift striker or they're trying to do, false nine or a more diminutive sized player who's skillful that's when you have christensen but when you have a guy you know you play someone like ollie Watkins and danny ings that just score the ugly goal or or scrap like scrap through and score that's where you want tiago silva to have that jts performance like zach said so it made mm-hmm. sense for me tactically all right let's talk let's uh close up by talking about um some other players who got starts, um, a couple rotation starts uh, for Ziek, Cho, and Trevo Chaloba. So we'll start off with Ziek. Two shots. Outside of that, he didn't really have the impact he wanted on this game. Um, I he did have one really nice diagonal ball um, to Marcus Alonso. That Marcus Alonso he had that crossed. I think it was it was to Lukaku and didn't really get to him. But um, what what do you think about his performance, Zach? I think attacking wise, um, like you said, we didn't really get what we wanted from him. And you know, again, it, it's not a knock on him. We know he's coming off of an injury. Um, he didn't play an international duty due to a fallout with his with his manager. So that's something to keep an eye on with the World Cup looming and Afcon. Um, Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it might be Selfish good for mistake. us, bad yeah. for Morocco. Um, but yeah, I, I think from the attacking sense, it it, it wasn't good. Um, and it was the things that normally frustrate us, you know, giving the ball all away, um, always going to his left. You know, that sort of predictability that he has when he's not necessarily up to the pace of the game, um, it showed uh, on Saturday. And again, I'm not a, I'm not knocking him. I still have, you know, that most confidence because his preseason was insanely good for us and he was great in the super cup before the injury so we know it's in him um but what i noticed was uh defensively 
Um, he was actually not only just filling up Mason Mount's spot in the attacking areas, but defensively he was putting in the work that Mason Mount normally did. I and he looked was, exhausted too because of that. <laughs> he did. He did. And I think it was clear that Tukul um, instructed him to kind of mimic Mount's energy and Mount's pressing and his ability to close down the ball, nick it off defenders. And to Ziyech's credit, he did that. Um, I, I pulled up a couple stats here, four clearances, two interceptions, and three tackles from an attacking 10 that's playing just off the right-hand side of our striker. That's insane. So the guy did put in work. The effort was definitely there. Um, I think it made sense to pull Havertz off ahead of him because Havertz was – he was not good in this game. Um, but, yeah, I, look, I think looking forward, like Andres said um, – you know, in a lot of positions that we have, there's no bona fide one or two. Unfortunately for Ziek, right now at this point in time, I think that right wing spot is Mounts and only Mason Mounts. But a performance like this can definitely give Tuchel and I think the team a little bit more confidence in him that he could do more than just produce that one moment of magic um, that he does have more in his locker. So. I'm interested to see him more at that position. Um, I think, you know, it was a combination of him having to do a little bit more work, but also coming off of that shoulder injury, which maybe took away from his performance in the attacking sense. So maybe a couple more starts um, where he plays a similar role rotating for Mount. And I'm really curious to see what we can get out of him in that position. Because, again, this is a guy when he's on it, you're talking about a potential 20 to 25 goal a season contribution between goals and assists. Um, so he can blow up at any moment. It's just a matter of, you know, sort of unlocking that in him. So so for me, I think Mount is more of the starting left winger. I think Thomas Tuchel wants to let the left-footed guy on the right side, and Havertz going to the left just showed that maybe he shouldn't be on the left side um, moving forward. So I think that the right side right now is a Havertz-Ziesch battle, more so than Mount. Uh, but in terms of Ziesch, I think... Funny enough, I think the reason why, apart from the fact that, you know, we know he, he still sometimes struggles against the Premier League press, I think what's more, and I don't know if I'm being harsh or not, but I think what kind of, not perhaps limited him, but maybe made him look not as good was Reese James wasn't behind him. And I think that part of what I keep thinking of, like some of, Ziyech's great games when Lampard was still manager and even later on I think he has a much better understanding positionally during build-up and all that with Reese James and we all have our frustrations with Cho at wingback and I think that's another potential issue there because if if the wingback isn't making the, the correct runs then yes Ziyech going to his left foot is which is already very predictable is, is going to come even more easily for the defender to predict, I guess. So, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed out that ZS didn't put in more crosses or at least more quality crosses. Um, but to me, I think that bringing back Reese James and, and bringing back a, the correct pivot from the beginning will do wonders for someone like Ziyech, um in future matches. All right, let's talk about Cho. So he started at right wing back, as I mentioned. Um, and I thought he 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 can he just that that's not his position. He 
he's being played out of position. And the more and more I see it, the less excited I'm getting about Cho. And it's not really his fault. Obviously, he's not picking the team sheet. We did see him play a little bit of that right wing, uh, attacking 10, whatever you want to call it, position. Um, when Dave came on, so we got like 20 minutes of that. But even then, we didn't really see much. So uh, we'll start off with this question from Ron. And I missed this earlier, but a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He says, speak on what you saw from Cho and do you see him getting more playing time or was this more him getting to play due to others coming back from the break? Andreas. Yeah, this, this, this start was Reese James got a red card and we need to put fit bodies on, on the pitch. I not once did I in my head think that that was the, the best option. I thought it was going to be Chalaba right center back and Aspie at right wing back from the beginning. But I could see this being as the one chance he would get to, you know, to come out and play at wing back in a in a winnable match. Um, I I'm getting to a point where I'm not understanding just four managers are, have been here since Cho's arrival to the scene or to the Chelsea scene, and. I do think that he needs to be played at the wing. I also know that the club's directors, everyone knew the depth we had at wing at the wing position to begin with. So I don't want to hate on the player's performance because of the player. I think it's unfortunate that he's being played out of position. And, and I just don't see him getting more minutes when he does, you know, mediocre because i don't think he was like poor i just don't think he was good um my other thing is i guess i just haven't seen this sort of transition enough where you go from a winger only to a wing back and be see improvement i feel like we usually see defenders get changed into wingers because they have offensive tendencies probably the first example that comes to my mind that was successful gareth bale left back when he was coming up now he you know whenever he was at this prime he was a world-class right winger it, it's not often that you go from a guy that's only an offensive talent to suddenly having a defensive role and being good at it so i think this is just tuchel forcing joe into the side however he thinks is best based on where everyone else is playing and I just don't know if that's the, what's best for Cho. And I and subsequently, I don't think it's what's best for Chelsea. Yeah, um, I don't like this Cho at right wing back uh, experiment. I, I, that, that's what we called it before, and that's I think that's what it is. Um, something you mentioned, Andres, that didn't really cross my mind until now. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Um, four managers since Cho, you know, has been in the first team. And he hasn't been able to sustain a starting spot um, for two of those years when I would say those starting spots are up for grabs. Because obviously the years before that, we had Eden Hazard and William, um, who, you know, were already, you know, stalwarts in the side. But 
the last two years, I would say he had really good opportunities to sort of make a name for himself and get in. Um, Frank had a rally cry for him when he first came in as a manager, spoke highly of him, but also mentioned that he needs to work. Tommy Tuchel did the same thing when he first came in, spoke really highly of him, but also said that he needs to work. Um, so I'm, I can't help but think that this possibly could be a, a recurring theme. Um, the other thing is that we we blocked his loan move to Borussia Dortmund at the end of the transfer window, and um, publicly uh, he wanted to leave. He wanted to go. Um, that's that was everything that we were hearing. Um, and, you know, Dortmund was willing to offer him playing time on the wings, his preferred position. So you really can't blame Cho for wanting to go and do that. Now, at the same time, he is still a Chelsea player. And the direction that the managers are giving him, he's clearly not doing on the pitch. Otherwise, he would be playing more. He would be earning himself more minutes. Um, that's just facts. I mean, that's just general football knowledge. <laughs> if the guy's not playing, there's a reason. And Tommy Tuchel is not a dramatic manager. We've only hailed his band management up to this point. So I'm not sitting here for a single second and thinking that, you know, Tommy Tuchel is just being a stubborn old guy about this. No, it has nothing to do with that. Um, it could be a potential breakdown in the relationship between him and the club because he did want to go to Germany, um, like I said before, not even once but twice with Bayern Munich. Um before Dortmund's offer, obviously, and then, you know, he's just not playing. And when he's asked to play, he's playing at the wingback role. Now, we all know that Tommy Tuchel's wingbacks like to get forward. They do get in the attacking areas. They get on the end of buildups. They also, you know, um, are, are, are incredibly important in providing the width in our attacking system because our, our two quote-unquote tens don't do that. Um, that. That's not their primary role. But in this game, yeah, it was just – it was average. It was nothing special. It didn't look like he offered anything additional. Um, I sat there a couple times in the game thinking, man, I can't help but think that Dave might be able to get that cross off uh, or, or Reese might be able to get that cross off. Um, so that was an issue for me. I'm not opposed to seeing him again, um, but I, I'm kind of done at seeing him at this wingback position. Um I said it in the middle of the transfer window that it was a position that I felt we were light in, especially if Dave's going to be playing center back. The pace isn't there for Dave, so I don't want to see him play at wing back that often. But good Lord, I want to see him play over Cho from this point on um, in that role. I, I, I think he got roasted in that first half, and they were specifically targeting his side. And they were getting a lot of freedom down that side as well. And when Leon Bailey came in, I was even shaking in my boots even more because I thought he was just going to jump right over to Cho's side and run him ragged. I mean, the guy's a winger. He's not a fullback. Like Psalm said, it's it's kind of harsh to criticize his defending. But at this point in time, um, there's something that he's not providing, whether it's in training or in the matches, it's mentally, maybe it might be his focus. I don't know. But something's missing there. That's that's preventing him from gaining the trust of his managers because guys like Frank and guys like Tuchel, they're open-minded managers. They want to get their, their youth, in, especially the youth players. Mm -hmm. um, it just felt like it was a perfect opportunity. And it's, it's, a, it's unfortunate that he's not there yet. Man, man, you know, it's bad when Marcus Alonso is on the left side and they choose to target you specifically on the right. That's when <laughs> you know, defensive. it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we'll wrap up by talking about the return of Trevo Chalaba into the, the starting lineup. Five clearances, four tackles, 
Um, we saw him fill in on the right side of the back three on Saturday, um, as expected. Uh, Andreas, what do you think of his performance? Uh, I'm loving this guy more and more every time he touches the pitch. I think he, rightly so, is is very confident in his performances right now. I think it helps that you know he has had to be in positions of leadership. He's also had to be the new guy in a tough environment going into France on loan. He's also played in, in very physical, the very physical championship. I mean, he looks, he's been looking ready since day one. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it's cool to see, you know, the, the new guy come in and not be scared and play just backwards passes when we're on the ball, especially on a back three. Um, again, for him being the fifth guy in the quote unquote death chart, I think it's exciting that that he's our our backup backup option. It, it's good. Uh, I love him. Um, and I think my favorite part about him is when we saw him in the Super Cup and again against Villa, he starts the match um, and he makes an errant pass right? It obviously doesn't cost us anything um, at the end of the day, thank God. But for me, it's the bounce back from those passes. You have a player that's very young that doesn't have a lot of Premier League experience um, to kind of come into this Champions League winning side who was known for their defensive qualities and to step in as a, as a center back um, and perform and bounce back from those early mistakes is the more impressive thing for me. Um, his mindset, his mentality, his focus, he just seems like he has all the tools that a young player needs to sort of develop into, um, you know, a full-time bona fide Premier League starter. Um, and not only that, I would even go one step further and say that, you know, he has the quality to be one of the best center backs in the league. He's tall, he's physical, he's comfortable on the ball. He has, he already has experience playing in midfield, um, which is huge as a center back. And nowadays, you have to have that ball handling ability. You have to have that range of passing. Uh, All right, Zach. Uh, looks like his internet died out. Um, Away. But, but Zach, you you got cut out. Oh my bad. Do you want to just where, continue? Where did, uh, yeah. Where did I leave off? You want to remind me? I don't remember. <laughs> you were waxing lyrical about Chalaba's Premier League potential and how he played in midfield, but I oh mean, yeah, the guy. I mean, the guy's ready to explode into his into the Premier League. I think that was the gist of it. Yeah, no, I I, I even took it one step further and said that I think he could be one of the best center backs in the Premier League, not just oh, a legitimate good, Premier League player. Good thing that part cut out. Typical. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, he's. I mean, he's your prototypical modern center back. He kind of has all the tools that you want, especially at a – you usually expect, you know, those attributes that I just mentioned to be in a player that's 26, 27 years old. But how old is the guy? 20, 21? And he's performing like this? It's uh, it's exciting, man. We really have a good a, – a quality, quality player on our hands. So – um, I'm looking forward to him playing more. I, I really trust him, um, genuinely trust him in these matches. All right. Um, let's move on to our Twitter questions. We already went through a bunch of them, so I got two more for you. 
Uh, I'll start off with uh, N Ward's uh, Twitter. Nate, he's no longer on Twitter, but he sent this to me on Discord, and uh, we also had shout Ron. Out shout out Nate. We also had Ron uh, send us this on Twitter on behalf of Nate. So uh, it's it's a quote uh, on Rio by Rio uh, on Rudy. And uh, Nate asks, do you agree or disagree with Rio on his Rudiger quotes? So here's the quote. Look at Rudiger. He's arguably, since Tuchel has been there, the best offender in the Premier League. Him or Ruben Diaz in that time, he's he's been unbelievable. He's like an animal. So, Zach, him and Ruben Diaz, are those the two top defenders in the Premier League? Ruben Diaz is in every single meme picture um, of 2020, of the 2020 season. I think there's a picture of him in every tur- in every tournament he's played in falling over as a player ran past him and scored. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, look, it's not a knock on Ruben Diaz. He's a great player. But going to Rudy, I think uh, I think Rio has a, a good point. I don't necessarily think he's the best center back in the Premier League. Um but his performances as of late have definitely – he's definitely made that position his own. Um, and, uh, you know, the level that he's playing at, we saw him hit similar levels um, that first season under uh, Antonio Conte. Kind of fell off a little bit with Sari, obviously in and out of the team with Frank Lampard and eventually out completely. We thought he was one foot out the door. Um, and now all of a sudden he's at one Champions League later. He's he's a cult hero at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Everybody loves the guy, um, and he's just that crazy shit house center back that we need. Yeah, Matt, yeah, um, except for Matt Law. Don't forget that Matt yeah, Law yeah, hates well, him. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a different story. Yeah, um, but no, I I love the guy. I I think if we don't have Rudiger in the team, we're missing that bite. We're missing that player who's willing to go toe to toe with anybody on the pitch, um, and any fan in the stands for that matter. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm not mad at these quotes, but then again, um, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say that he's been the best in the Premier League up to this point, especially with but, Virgil Van Dyke coming back from injury too. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he's talking about since Tuchel's been there, so Van Dyke really hasn't played much. Sure. You know, he does have an argument here. Um, Andres, I, I don't know. Before I kind of talk myself into trouble, what do you think? <laughs> um, I mean, since Tuchel's arrival at Chelsea, you mentioned there's been a bit of a down downturn to Ruben Diaz's performances from last season. Rudiger only got better. Then you add the international play, and Rudiger again was... If there was some positives to Germany's Euros... Rudiger was one of them. He also uh, scored over the international break. Yeah, nice hitter. Yeah. And and it's just a matter of not only what he's doing um, with the ball or or defending tricks that the guy's playing and and how he is the guy that's going to go to battle for you and how that motivates those around him. I think I think since Tuchel's arrival, yeah, you can argue he's been the very best player. I think defensive wise. I can't think of any other defender in the Premier League that was such a standout for the back end of the season. Um, even even if you want to add the Champions League, you mentioned Ruben Diaz and the memes. I mean, the Champions League was one of them, and then you have 
I believe three different times during the Euros, the guy kind of just got beat um, easily. So I, I agree. I agree. I think you mentioned him having a foot out the door or whatever. I think, unfortunately, I think he still has a foot out the door because he hasn't signed a new contract. Um, and I think that it is, in a way, business-wise, a smart decision on his part because he has all the all the bargaining power. So hopefully we do pay him what he wants because at this point I think he is the kind of guy you want to keep around um, long-term. I think my dream uh, or on my bucket list is to have uh, Rudy give me one of his patented slaps in the head. Um, I just want <laughs> I just want to see what it feels like. Uh, I don't know if you saw him slap Lukaku and literally like Lukaku's face like does not even change. Like it's like as if he didn't even feel anything. <laughs> and he smacked him hard. Like you saw the sweat fly off. Smacks him hard in the back <laughs> yeah. of the head. Like, like that's a knockout. <laughs> I want. I want to experience one of those just to see how tough Lukaku is. Um. All right. Last Twitter question. And Andreas, I'm gonna need your help on this one. I'm really gonna need your help because I have no idea what any of this means. It's a Marvel question. Okay. This one is from okay. at. It's from Leonard Cohen. So yeah, I'll translate. <clears throat> so I have to do my <clears throat> formal voice. Dear Pod, as Marvel Phase Four takes a deep dive into the multiverse, where anything that might happen has happened somewhere in the multiverse, it got me thinking: if the Pod could travel the multiverse like Mobius and Mobius, sweet. What would the pod say to the Madfort variants of yourself that support Spurs and Arsenal? Wait, who, okay, so before we get into it, Mobius and Mobius, is that an actual name of a character in Marvel? Yes. Who's so that? in the Loki show, Owen Wilson plays a character by the name of Mobius and Owen Mobius. Wilson is in Loki? Yes, he is the main character <laughs> wow. of the show. Wow. Does, does he say that you he does give you one of those i believe in the uh, whole season which which like is an intentional thing like they wrote it for yeah. him <laughs> i'm sure um so basically what he's saying is that um marvel is is toying with the idea that in any moment of time you could have made a different decision that would then split the timeline so for example parallel universes uh, type of shit yeah, maybe there was a universe where you decided to watch um, Spurs win versus oh my Inter God. Milan where Gareth Bale got a hat trick and you decided that that's your team. That poor soul. So if you could travel between the timelines like Mobius does in Loki, okay. what would you tell your variants <laughs> well, that support teams like Arsenal and Tottenham? I, I think I know my answer, and it's it's. I'm gonna go back to what I said about Rudy. Uh, I'm not, I wouldn't say anything. I would just walk up to him and smack him in the head like Rudiger. <laughs> That's all I would do. I wouldn't even say anything. I'll just smack him in the back of the head. If it knocks him out, good. If not, I'll hit him again. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> I never. This is such a good question, man, because I've never thought about this ever. Um, if I was for my Spurs fan, I'd probably hand them a copy of that DVD where they finished second. 
that was that was pretty funny and just say um this is the closest you've gotten to winning are you fucking serious and then for the arsenal fan um i would just ask why like why do that to yourself at this point in time like last year was rough for everybody in terms of mental health this is me talking to my arsenal and tottenham <laughs> just be like listen Last year was very rough for all of us between COVID and shit shutting down and mental health and this and that and social issues. Why would you make it worse by supporting a team like that? <laughs> like if, if there's any if there's anything that you can get out of life by simply changing your team, now's the time to do it. It'll just make you generally happier. Just do it for your mental health. I guess that's what I would tell myself. Um, and then if they say no, I would probably smack him in the back there of the you head. go song would pop out of nowhere and that would song, do it and the song he just converted would smack both sacks in the back of the head <laughs> i would smack you and then my converted one would smack your oh, arsenal fan three psalms running around just smacking everybody in the back of the head now this i would watch this marvel hit me up this is a this is a movie idea okay listen <laughs> this is so hard because I can't even picture why I would have made those decisions. You know what I mean? Like, in that's what, a dark timeline. It would be a question I'd ask myself for sure. Like, how did you wind up here? What yeah, happened? What made you choose this? And it's like Arsenal. It's like okay, I the Premier League must have gotten the U.S. must have gotten the rights to the Premier League years before, so that I could have witnessed the Invincibles or something. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, or maybe in an alternate timeline. I just really hated Barcelona, and they beat Arsenal in the Champions League finals, so then I decided that I'd root for them. I don't know. But like Zach said, there's also got to be a point where, okay, you made the mistake of following this team. I get it. You were sentimental about Arsene Wenger for years, but they signed Unai Emery, and you stuck through that good evening? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, you have to draw a line at some point. You are now following a fan base that truly think they're going to be something relevant with that back line and spending $50 million on Ben Scheidt? I don't think so, man. $30 million on a reserve goalkeeper, too. Grand and that was confirmed by Edu, who, by the way, had the best interview ever, if you guys haven't watched it. God. Yeah, it's if fantastic. Was, yeah. Your general manager talking about how you're reducing the age of the squad for the future. I am so sorry. There's not going to be any future. Spoiler <laughs> alert: since we can time travel to <laughs> the same place in ten years. So my my real move, and this one's to Leonard Cohen and to other Marvel fans. I would prune those timelines, meaning I would erase them from existence. You you put the little time ticking bomb that erases that possibility all the way back to the point where that decision was made. And by the way, that is the wrong decision in any world where I'm not a Chelsea fan. It's the same question, Andres, um, that I ask Clipper fans. Yeah, like if, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't try to convert him because I know that loyalty is important. Um, and I wouldn't want you to throw away everything just to support a better team because your friends are assholes. You wouldn't okay? convert him. You'd just... You, you would physically assault him. Yeah, that's better. Timeline and, and end that existence. I'll do that. the I'll do the bomb thing that you were talking about, Andres. Whatever that's called. Yeah, 
we are obviously, and this is another thing, we are obviously in the sacred timeline. Like, we made the right decision by becoming Chelsea fans. Otherwise, we wouldn't be Chelsea fans because this timeline would have gotten pruned. And, and we, if none of this sci-fi makes any sense to you, you need to quit living under a rock and watch the Loki show on Disney+. <laughs> Plus. Dude, this podcast wouldn't even exist if that were the case. In that alternative universe, there is no Roman's Empire podcast. Think of that. That's, that's oh. That that's it's terrifying. Un- it's it's Cronky's empire. What would Good you lord? No, no, that would not. Be- Come on, we could. Uh, we wouldn't. We wouldn't make a podcast because we wouldn't be able to compete with Arsenal fan TV. <laughs> but I think I think we could agree that if we were either Spurs or an Arsenal podcast, our logo would be the same. It would just be a giant red L or a giant blue L. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a, of a clever name, but I can't even think of anything. What's the guy? What's the guy who's the GM for or the director of football for the Spurs again? Le- Levy. Levo, oh, Levy. Daniel Levy. Levy's Losers Podcast. <laughs> Very good. I like that one. All right. Well, I'm I'm registering the, <laughs> I'm registering like, the name right now. <laughs> I'm registering it right now. We're we're making that. Um it's gonna be a complete like satire podcast where we pretend to be fans or not. Um all right. Let's let's finish off with the Zenit St. Petersburg preview that's uh coming up in two days. So we're recording on Sunday, matches on Tuesday. Some news coming out of international break. Christian Pulisic is going to be out, missing at least three matches with an ankle injury. N'Golo Conte will also be evaluated pre-match before making a decision on his availability. Reese is available as his ban doesn't apply to Champions League matches. Um, so uh, you know, we should be able to see him out there. Hopefully, alongside Ben Chilwell, our uh, favored wing back match uh, pairing last year. So, let's talk about St. Petersburg for a little bit. And, Andreas, this was the reason why I was laughing earlier because I was going to mention this because I didn't know whether you guys knew this or not, but Zach already had it in, in the script. So, <laughs> last year, we had to deal with the Persian terror of Mehdi Taremi at Porto. And this year, we're going to have to deal with the Persian Messi, Sardar Asmun, okay? This guy has been called the Persian Messi for the last four years. It's not a joke, guys. And has That's still... His real nickname. Has yet to become the Persian Messi yet. But it will, it will happen. <laughs> Dude, there was rumors of Arsenal looking at him. It's not gonna happen. I don't know. My my dad thought it was gonna happen, but um, he's he's killing it right now. He has five goals already in in league play. I'm looking yeah. it up right now. And how many matches? A hot start. Five Listen, five goals so- in in six matches, seven matches. Let's go. Making we're we're like cracking jokes about him, but he, he can actually play. He's 26 years old. He's still he's got a lot of potential. Uh, this guy is actually a baller. He's probably the best player in Iranian history, and this is not good on the national team, but he's really good uh, at at St. Petersburg. Like Lingard, but Persian. <laughs> yeah, except uh, I don't. Know. Jesse Lingard's a lot younger than him. 
He's only 26, Asmund, and Jesse Lingard's still an up-and-coming player. Not Better than Jahan Bosch, the Persian Ross Barkley. So, so here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that we're not going to get a clean sheet because we never keep a clean sheet against Persian players. Yeah, exactly. He's going to score a bike or a ridiculous... No, a bike. That's it. Yeah. He's going to score a bike. That's the, only, <laughs> that's the only way the Persians score on Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it crazy no that we had two Persians score two bicycle kicks in the past two seasons against if, us? If yep. you're in Vegas, if you're in Vegas, find a place that is taking the odds of a Persian scorer via a bicycle kick versus Chelsea right now. Put that's in a like dollar. Plus one million spread right there. Money line. Yeah. So. Um, so what else, I mean, is there anything else that you guys know about St. Petersburg that we need to look out for? A couple, um, they have the world's self-proclaimed best center back, Dejan Lovren, who, uh, advanced his career by leaving the greatest league on the planet to go to, like, the ninth best league in Europe, so good on him. Um, but they also... To be fair to them, they do um, they do have Malcolm uh, Barca. I think he's is he still on loan from Barca? Or did they buy him outright? They sold he's, him. He's a, I mean he's an outcast, but again that's that's a kind of player that might have that moment or two um, that might make us hold our breaths. You know he he has that ability to sort of do something ridiculous out of nowhere after sucking all game. So between him and the Persian Messi, I think those are pretty much um, you know going to be our main threats. But um, yeah. I, I'm not worried at all. I think this should – I said it before I, uh, in the beginning of the show. I said that I think it's going to be a routine win. At least it should be on paper. What What's the saying? You put your neck on the line or am I making this up? Okay. Uh, that is a quote. Yeah, that's a saying. Yeah, is it? Okay. Putting your oh, neck on the line? Okay. Like floating down the river. Line here. I think that Team Overner will start and will okay. score twice. Against his future club. <laughs> Shut up. His future club is in Germany, okay? Uh, but The newspapers, yeah. Wait, is this match in... Uh, it's at Stamford Bridge. Bridge, okay. Yeah, so we don't have to worry about the traveling, which is a good thing. Um, I was going to say, a home match for uh, Roman Abramovich, though, if he, would, if he were to go. Yeah. <laughs> well... I mean, I I guess I'll kind of kick this off. I think I think it's going to be a shellacking, if you will. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go four nil Chelsea. I think we keep a clean sheet. Um, and I think we get a. Here's the thing. I think Tuchel's going to put out a relatively strong side. Um, because you do want to make sure that you guarantees guarantee these three points. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're going to go for it, guys. I think we're going to go four nil. Um. I think Lukaku gets his first Champions League goal for us, and we see Timo really? Werner uh, starting in this game. Yeah, I don't wait. So you, you're saying Lukaku off the bench and he scores, or because I don't think he plays. No, I I think Lukaku starts up top with Timo, um, and then any combination of either Mount or Kai playing in behind. And we we got the Spurs match on Sunday or Saturday. You know, four or five days later, I think you sit Lukaku. You do not play him. And you I play think, a front three of like of of uh, Kai Havertz, Mason. I mean, sorry, not Mason Mount. Well, you can play Mason Mount, a team of Werner, Kai Havertz, and maybe even Cho up front. Like that. That's a good. That's a good game for it to have him play. I think. I think the game to rest Lukaku would be the cup match against Villa. 
I think that's the game where you rest him. I mean, your I first Champions League game, you need to get a win. So you, I mean, you Villa's play. a better side than than Zenit St. Petersburg, bro. They yeah, are. But the so- they're going to play a second team, too, in that game. It's yeah. Carabao Cup. Yeah, they both will. Yeah. I don't know. I I still – I don't see a reason to. I don't think we are, we're going to need him to beat them, uh, to be completely no, honest. We really need him either. Well, you can be the first sub out too, right? So if we score plenty in the first half, then you take definitely take Lukaku out and you let Timo keep playing. I, I actually think it, it's not the worst idea. You secure the goals and then you exactly. pull him out rather than having to put him in and ask him to, to do some magic. Yeah. Thing. Um, And again, I think it's still early enough in the season to where the players can do almost like two full matches in a week. Obviously, you're not playing Lukaku 180 minutes, but you know, you're you're without the travel, he can get the day off on Wednesday. You give him an hour. Yeah. I don't know. And he coming off international break where he played three matches in a week. Like, I just I'd rather have him sit out this match, but we'll see. Um Andres, what about your prediction? Um, I'll be I think four is, is a lot. I mean, can it it can probably happen. I just don't think I think Zenit is going to come and park the bus. So for me, it'll be more of a 2-0. One of those where like the ball just does not want to come in to the net. I'm I'm thinking lots of deflected shots, lots of, you know, chances. Um, for me, I'm thinking Ziyech will be involved again. And, and like I said, I hope Timo's involved in the goal scoring, uh, especially because we're playing a side that, you know, again, this should be less physical and less uh, quick than than a Premier League team. I'm surprised you guys both said we're keeping clean sheets when you know the Iranian Messi is on the other side of the pitch. So that's very uh, foolish of you both. So, and, my, and that being said, 4-1. 4-1. <laughs> yeah. Messi score four and a Persian Messi scores a bicycle kick. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Only um, way it'll go in. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. Um, obviously, we do have the Zenit match coming up at midweek, so look out for our podcast that we'll be recording after that. And we're also going to be uh, taking a look, uh, or looking ahead, rather, to uh, the Tottenham match. Um, so we're going to be doing a lot of shit talking there. Those are my favorite podcasts to record. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um, also, our email address. We've gotten a few emails, just people asking us general questions um, or even telling us how they became Chelsea fans, which is something that I'm always interested to hear. So, uh, Romans Empire Pod at gmail.com is our email address. Um, other than that, make sure you guys are looking out for our next episode and keep the blue flag flying high.